0: Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you.
1: Welcome to the webinar, How Action Civics is Teaching Our Kids to Protest. My name is Katie Gorka. I'm the Director for Civil Society and the American Dialogue at the Heritage Foundation. I'm so pleased to be welcoming Dr. Thomas Lindsay as our speaker today. Dr. Lindsay is the Constitutional Scholar at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, a think tank based in Austin, Texas. I commend both Dr. Lindsay's work, much of which is focused on the relationship between education and democracy, and the work of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. In spite of the name, they are not solely focused on what goes on in Texas. A lot of what they do is relevant to the whole country and they produce a lot of terrific content. So I really recommend you to check out their website. So for today, Dr. Lindsay has produced a major new study on the topic of action civics, something that most of us know little about, but it's vitally important, especially now. Our nation is deeply divided. Young people seem to have a growing disdain, even a hatred for our country. They're taking to the streets and not merely protesting as we've seen all throughout the summer, but wreaking havoc. We're seeing rioting and looting, hurting people, tearing down statues and shutting down anyone who doesn't share their perspectives. One of the reasons that this is happening is because of what our children are being taught in school. And I don't mean only in college, We've all come to expect that college campuses are centers of radical indoctrination, but now it's happening in K through 12 as well through Action Civics, where as one critic described it, kids are being turned into political props. Dr. Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, we really look forward to hearing from you. If I can just say to our audience members, um, you can submit questions anytime through the question and answer Um, function on the right of your screen and Dr. Lindsey will speak for about 10-12 minutes. Um, I'll get to ask him some questions first since I'm the host for today and then we'll open it up and take audience questions. So with that Dr. Lindsey I turn it over to
0: you. Thank you Katie. It's a pleasure. I want to thank the Heritage Foundation for which I have great admiration and in fact I was fortunate enough in 1992 to be a resident scholar at the Heritage Foundation, and it was a wonderful experience. Let me explain uh, my very, the very long title of my research study. My research study is titled Action Civics, New Civics, Civic Engagement, and Project-Based Civics. And I then asked the question, do these represent advances in civic education? I come to the conclusion that they don't, but before I explain that, let me explain the real problem that they address. Those who are proposing that we engage in what is called action civics in our schools have touched on a real crisis. Americans today are growing increasingly civically illiterate. Uh, The Woodrow Wilson Foundation recently did a study and they gave Native-born Americans, the U.S. citizenship test, which is what new immigrants to this country take. It's only ten questions. You have to only get six out of right of ten right. Uh, you can study the hundred-question database online, so you know what the questions are going to be. The good news is that ninety-one, nearly ninety-one percent of immigrants pass the test first time that's good news. The bad news is that only 19% of Native-born Americans under the age of 45 can even get six out of 10 right. Now, let me just impress upon you just how dire that is. Um, I mean, one of the questions on these tests is, who's the current president? Any competent seventh grader should be able to pass the test and yet only 19% of Native-born Americans under the age of 45 can. You can't defend what you don't understand, and that's the situation. That's why we are in a crisis of civic illiteracy in this country. To the rescue, as they would have it, comes Action Civics. Action Civics says that the reason that students today are not uh, 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 civically liberate, literate is because they're not interested, and the reason that they're not interested is because of what they call derisively your grandmother's civics. In other words, this content-based, founding documents-based approach to civics is somehow seen as the reason that students are doing so poorly. In fact, uh, it was Sandra Day O'Connor, who came up with that expression, uh your grandmother's civics and obama the obama secretary of education Artie duncan repeated it so the solution that action civics offers to uh uh, the civic crisis uh uh the, the crisis in civic illiteracy is to have students do civics because through doing the argument is they will better learn well i looked at the data on uh civic literacy and fortunately we have gallup poll data that goes all the way back to the 40s and in fact if you go back and look at the 40s and 50s what you see is that students then were much more civically literate than they are today so then what really caused the problem contrary to the assertions of the action civics folks it isn't the presence of a content-based curriculum. Rather, it's its absence. I'm old enough to remember that back in the 60s, in order to be, quote, more relevant to students, uh, uh, a founding documents-based civic education was largely scrapped. Now, this was simply following the lead from our universities. Today, according to the Department of Education, fewer than one in three college students can graduate today, having taken even one course in American government. Now, why don't they take it? Because our universities no longer require it. And this was all part of that movement in the 60s of dismantling a required core curriculum in the liberal arts and sciences that included the study of the American founding as part of the study of Western civilization more generally. Now, my study uh, owes a lot, and I give a lot of credit to the National Association of Scholars, David Randall and Ashley Thorne, who did a superb analysis of the Obama New Civics curriculum. Well, New Civics and Action Civics and Project Based Civics, as I said, they're all the same thing. And they are all in support not of the founder's version of a representative democracy with checks and balances, but rather, I found in favor of Rousseau's version of a communitarian or participatory democracy meaning that they have contempt for the Constitution's checks and balances. I then find that action civics today is guilty of what Abraham Lincoln warned about in 1838 in the, his young men, his address to the Young Men's Lyceum. Lincoln was only, I believe, 29 at the time, and he, he had a warning for us, and he said, the founding generation is dying off, and with it, our fervor in favor of the Declaration of Independence's principles. Lincoln feared that the decline of reverence for the Constitution would lead in time to what he called mobocratic rule. Unfortunately, mobocratic rule seems to me on the basis of my study to be the inevitable consequence of teaching action civics. And I say this not merely as a matter of theory. Take a look at Seattle. Take a look at Portland. We call these protesters rebels, but they're really not rebels. They are simply implementing what they have been taught. Therefore, I believe that this battle, uh, which is raging across the country, they are trying to put action civics curricula in K-12 schools across the country. I believe this is ground zero in our culture wars, because as I mentioned, you can't, not only can you not defend what you don't understand, but you certainly cannot defend that which you have been taught to hate. And sad to say, that seems to me to be the consequences of, of this agenda. And in the course of my research, I take a look at Uh, the debate between NAS's David Randall and Amy Curran of Gen, it's an organization called Gen Citizen, national organization, very active here in Texas. And Curran responds to NAS's critique by saying, no, no, we're not political. Uh, Everything we do is just simply about students learning how to engage in the political process. Well, I believe we should take them at their word and not try to impute motives. But what I did do was I went to their website and I went to the websites of their allies and I looked at what exactly are the projects that they're doing. And I list 27 in my research study and they were really just the first 27 I found. And unfortunately, and, and I'm perhaps during Q and I'll read off some of these to you. Unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of the action civics projects that they are sponsoring are simply teaching students how to protest in favor of left-wing causes. And this was something we were warned about by a former defender and practitioner of action civics, and that's Robert Robert Pondicio. And he wrote last year, Robert Pondiccio uh, uh, wrote in, in a uh, Education Next article titled, Kids as Political Props. That he was leaving the Action Civics movement. And the reason he said is because he could see all it was was teaching students how to protest and, moreover, creating a generation of uninformed, but nonetheless very entitled feeling students. So, with that, what, by way of introduction, I'm happy to uh, entertain any questions that you have, Katie, or that will come from you. All right, thanks so much. Um, that was a great
1: beginning. There's so much more, though, that I would really love to explore. Um, so one thing I think in particular that, that intrigued me in the paper, um, you talk about the fact that the originators of Action Civics wrote that they worried about the erosion of the activities and capacities of citizenship. And I think that's a valid concern, right? Yes. You know, we, we we've lost a lot of our sort of traditional civic organizations. Um, I, you know, I think there are a lot of things that impact this. Um, just the fact that the way technology has sucked up the attention of so many kids, they're not going out, we're seeing decline in enrollment in the Girl Scouts, in the Boy Scouts. Okay, there are other factors involved there perhaps, but still, given that that actually was a fair criticism of what's or concern of what's happening in our day, Um, what might be a more appropriate response to address that besides action civics?
0: Well, I think first and foremost is to return to the content, more precisely, not simply content, founding documents-based civic education. In other words, when we look at the Declaration of Independence, what makes it so notable, there are many things, but one of them is this. Countries have uh, separated themselves from the mother country throughout all of history, happens all the time. But our founders thought it important to offer an explanation to the world in the Declaration of Independence as to why they thought their revolution was justified and why they thought other countries should follow. Now, of course, most of the world has followed. Millions upon millions of people from other countries including many of our, uh, our uh, grandparents or great-grandparents, voted with their feet and came here because they accepted the argument of the Declaration of Independence. So in that spirit, a proper American civic education should engage the students in a discussion about the theory of justice contained in the Declaration of Independence, which is not that complicated. It can be taught consists simply of four self-evident or absolute truths, human equality, inalienable rights, the institution of government by consent, and the right to rebel. That's the American theory of justice. Now, we do a program for Texas civics teachers here in the summer that I teach to try to do th- try to do this, and I've realized very quickly they're not being taught that. The teachers themselves are not being taught that in college. So ultimately, I laid the blame at at, at the feet of our universities because they run the ed schools that the K-12 teachers come out of and then do a poor job uh, of teaching civics in K-12. So first and foremost, as Lincoln says, this is a time for return to first principles. We have to rediscover who we are. Fortunately, we have founding documents devoted entirely to that purpose
1: you You started to touch on sort of the the philosophy of the founders and how they understood democracy. I wonder if you would just go a little bit deeper into how the founders' philosophy and view of democracy differs from the view of democracy held by proponents of action civics.
0: Yeah, well, you know you look at the Federalist papers and you see what Madison says about uh, in 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 the in federalist essays forty seven to fifty one separation of powers he tells us will work because ambition will be made to counteract ambition and he almost apologizes for that saying i'm sorry that that's the basis in other words we'd say well why aren't they doing this on the basis of the common good well as as madison uh, tells us in federalist 10 enlightened statesmen are not always at the helm i think 200 and some years later we would all agree that that is in fact usually the case so the So on the one hand, Madison says that our form of government depends on virtue more than any other. But at the same time, part of the genius of the American experiment is it wants to depend on virtue as little as possible, precisely because enlightened leaders are not always at the helm. In other words, the founder's view of human nature was not pessimistic, neither was it optimistic, it was realistic. But for the defenders of action civics, who put forward a vision for participatory or communitarian democracy, they think the founders' view is too pessimistic. They think that participation itself, or as you as we as you read in the study, what they call doing civics, as opposed to merely studying civics, that doing civics will produce informed and effective citizens. Now, don't get me wrong, Katie. There is a role for doing civics in in K-12 as well as college. It's been happening forever. Student government, uh, debate team, et cetera. There is nothing wrong with with that. And in fact, it can be a very helpful supplement to a founding documents-based civic education, but it must remain a supplement. Action Civics reverses it. It puts the cart before the horse telling us that doing civics is sufficient in and of itself to lead to an informed and effective citizenry. Robert Pondicio, whom I mentioned in my opening remarks, found that instead of accomplishing that purpose, what it does instead is to produce students who are both uninformed and entitled.
1: You know, I, I was really struck by that when I when I think about uh, these films, there's a guy named Fleckus. I don't know if you've seen his his videos. Fleckus talks. So a guy named Fleckus, um, who looks like a protester, bearded sweatshirt, you know, he looks like a schlub. and he goes out into these leftist protests and he's questions people. He said, "Why are you here? What do you stand up for? Um, why do you believe what you do? And it's extraordinary because time and again, they can, they can tell you what they're protesting for, but they cannot give you sentence one about why they take that position.
0: They're completely No, no, that's correct. No, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, Katie, and, and uh agrees with you. He talks about that confrontation of those teachers who brought their students to confront Senator Dianne Feinstein. Yeah. And the students had no knowledge it wasn't their fault, their kids. They were just sent out there, as Pondicio says, as political props to scream at Senator Dianne Feinstein, right. That's not civic education. That's the opposite, right. That is the precondition of what Lincoln warned us of. That's mobocratic rule. Me and my passions, period.
1: Well, and what struck me also about the story of Senator Feinstein is how rude the students were. And that's also a common element. It's like these kids are not even being taught the basic
0: rules. of. No, you're right. In fact, when I did my first uh, summer institute for Texas civics teachers last summer, we had an eighth grade teacher. Now, everybody outside of Texas thinks, oh, Texas is just wonderful on this stuff. And in a lot of respects, it is. But eighth grade is the last time Texas K-12 students get any instruction in American founding, eighth grade. And this eighth grade teacher told me and the rest of the class, she said, by the time students are middle school age, middle school age, they come to class already cynical about the American regime. Now I was shocked and I asked the rest of the teachers, I said, has that been your experience? And they said, yes. And it gets worse every year. That's what we're up against here. In other words, uh, uh, this stuff just didn't bloom up. This has been taught. This has been cultivated. Not only in our schools, because let's think about it. If kids are coming in cynical already at middle school age, that that means that this wasn't the product of the education they got. This is the culture as a whole. I mean, look around us, right? My kids went to see uh, some Spider-Man movie three or four years ago, and they came back and they said that there's an event in there where the hero, Peter Parker, uh, uh, Spider-Man, and his class go to uh, Washington, D.C. on a field trip. And they're standing outside the Washington Monument. And they're about to go in, and then Peter Parker looks at his friend, a woman who's African-American and says, why aren't you going in? And she says, because I don't wanna go in a building that was built by slaves. And he then looks at the guard and the guard sort of goes, well, there's no evidence that that's even the case. Yeah. And point two, two, what the hell is that doing in a kid's comic book movie? Well, Hollywood knows that kids are going to take that more seriously. They want to be more like Peter Parker than they do their teacher. Right? So if that's cool in Spider-Man, then that's the way they're going to act. So the, The battle that we're up against here is massive, and that's why I call it ground zero in the culture war.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. You know, and along those lines, I was just reading a story about Scholastic Magazine, which I used to love, right? Find the little hidden figure and color it in in the picture and, you know, cute little stories. I think the latest issue of Scholastic Magazine uh, contrasts Biden and Trump's views of race. And they, first of all, they completely lie about what Trump stands for. And, you know, to be fair, they lie about Biden as well. Um, but it's very biased content and they're putting this into Scholastic magazine. It just blows my mind.
0: Oh, no, it's look, I know personally how hard it is to revise a whole statewide curriculum and then get that through the legislature. And then get that, I mean, you're talking a multi-year process. And yet, the New York Times 1619 Project, which just came out last summer, is already in the school districts in Chicago, New York, and D.C. and elsewhere. It's in 4,000 schools around the country. Now, the 1619 Project and Action Civics and New Civics, they're all the same thing. They are all the same thing. We need to recognize that.
1: And I would include with them as well, Southern Poverty Law Center has a curriculum curriculum called Teaching Tolerance. Black Lives Matter has a curriculum. Um, A lot of the, quote, diversity and inclusion training is also along these same lines. They're all sort of tainted by, or shaped by critical race theory, which says the world is divided into oppressor and oppressed. Can only be one or the other, right? We can't be individuals.
0: Yes. No, and you know, because I support, because I believe that Black Lives Matter, I cannot and will not ever support Black Lives Matter, Inc., because it's not about Black lives. It's very open. Go to their website. Well, they pulled down uh, a couple weeks ago their open statement about the destruction of the traditional family, but they're not apologetic about the fact that they're simply a Marxist organization, period, full stop. And yet, you know, I'm, again, I'm old enough to remember the riots in the 60s, right? And those were rough, just as today. But you didn't have major corporations contributing millions of dollars to the rioters. Yeah. You do. And when I think of these corporations that are doing this, I'm reminded of Lenin's, Vladimir Lenin's statement, that the capitalists will fight with each other over who gets to sell us the rope with which we hang them. Wow. <laughs> What a statement.
1: You know, one of the things that troubles me is the system that we have, we really believe in the marketplace of ideas. We believe that, you know, short of calling for actual somebody to be heard, um, we believe that almost all ideas should be allowed to be discussed, right? Um, And and that you want to win people over. You don't want to beat them over the head and force them to embrace a set of ideas. But what troubles me with this is that I feel the marketplace doesn't work anymore when it comes to schools, right? The system that we have of public school where parents are a step removed from the school because the funding goes through the tax system, right? So there's no direct lever in the sense of I'm paying tuition therefore. Um, So I find that's problematic. And then I find also that the tremendous power that the teachers unions hold and they're very clearly left-wing biased. I mean, you go to the NEA's website and you find the Black Lives Matter curriculum right yes. there. Yes. Yes. What are parents supposed to do in this environment?
0: That's what they used to call the sixty-four thousand dollar question. And I think the and I think the first thing is, parents you're going to hate this, you're going to have to get off the TV and go to your school board meetings if you've got kids in K-12. That's the first thing. Uh, The second thing, if your university calls you and and asks for funds, ask them whether or not they have signed on to the University of Chicago's statement on free speech. Now, 76 universities have done this, uh, which means there's about a little under 2,000 that haven't uh so if they tell you they haven't tell them well when you do it call me back and we'll talk about giving you money in other words the bottom line is the left didn't take over education overnight it's been a hundred year long march if even if we're successful at retaking it we're not going to do it overnight it's going to start school board by school board teacher by teacher principal by principal getting involved and fighting because if we don't we're just going to see the absolute end of america as it was founded
1: great answer I, I let me add a couple more to that because i think i've i've seen sort of great initiatives at the k through 12 level as well one in particular i'm a real fan of is a group called new trier neighbors new And then T-R-I-E-R, Neighbors. This is a a school up north of Chicago. And a couple of the parents were upset with some content being brought in a few years ago. You know, it was a particular way of approaching the issue of racism that they felt was sort of disingenuous or, or, you know, not constructive. And they pushed back a little bit, got nowhere. Um, So they eventually decided to form an organization so that they could get together and have some strength when they wanted to push back, they now have 2,000 members. 2,000 members, right? And they've done incredible things. And they actually have a pr- proposed the University of Chicago Freedom of Speech Statement for their school as well. They want their school to adopt that, um, which I think is 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 very important so i think there are, yes. there are there are great initiatives and and one other one i'll just mention quickly and a lot of people may have seen this on tucker carlson a few weeks ago a woman named Ilana fishbein up in lower marion pennsylvania this yes. is a suburb of philadelphia uh she too was unhappy with content that she saw in her kid's school and she you know posted something about it and has since started an organization called no left turn in education God. so i think parents parents need to step up and engage and and they can be effective
0: absolutely right and i think i mean the two most fundamental solutions to this problem uh one at the k-12 level the other at the national level at the k-12 level i mean my organization the texas public policy foundation was established in 1989 on one issue school choice right at, at the if you're a parent and you don't like what's happening in your K-12 school and your efforts in dealing with the school board prove to be futile, school choice is the answer. Vote with your feet. Get your kids in. There are a number of charter schools that are rising up that actually do civics education properly. Great Heart Academies, the Hillsdale Academies, there, there's a number of them. Go to those. School choice at the state level is really the ultimate solution. Because as you rightly say, Katie, the education marketplace has failed. And the reason it's failed is because it's no longer a true marketplace. Right? Uh, uh, students and their parents are slaves to their zip code at, mm-hmm. at, at the K-12 level. At the national level, on both constitutional and prudential grounds, what Congress needs to do when it re, if it ever reauthorizes the Higher Education Act again, it hasn't done it in 12 years. Right? But if it does, it needs to return to the states the complete power over education that the Constitution gave them. Right now, when I say that, first thing our audience may think of, oh my God, what will they do in California if they can run their their uh, higher 12, higher ed the way they? And the answer is they'll screw it up like they screw everything up. But the good news is, and contrary to if these dictates come from Washington and apply to all 50 states, the good news is, kids, high school kids in California who want to go to college who are upset with what California is doing, they've got 49 other options. In other words, we restore the 50 little laboratories of experimentation in education. And then if they, if all of a sudden they see that Texas or Virginia is doing a better job, kids will start applying there. And then California merely out of self-interest will have to reform itself or it'll watch its institutions collapse.
1: Um, so I'm, I'm getting loads of questions from the audience. I, I've, oh. I've got to give, I've got to give them a chance. Um, sure. All right one here comes the first one can you talk about the concept silence is violence are students that choose not to get involved shunned
0: silence is silence is violence is a statement of the left just it's 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 the counterpart of of the uh of the uh statement that um their violence is speech and our speech is violence right in other words this is an absolute repudiation of the fundamental doctrine of individual liberty upon which our limited democracy rests and upon which it stays healthy, right? So the notion that silence is violence is an argument that it's an attempt to tell people, you will be made to care. You can't sit this out. And of course, Mm -hmm. always the case in totalitarian regimes that's why Mm -hmm. we're total in it right or as the left remember how the left always used to say in the 60s the personal is political well if the personal is political then your personal life is properly under my power as a politician that's where we're headed right that's where
1: um, here's a question from Adam Kissel, who is himself a leading expert on yes. civic education. His question is this: Civic participation, such as voting and volunteering, are widely seen as valuable. So, if the regular curriculum should not prioritize them, where are the best places for kids to learn how to take their places in civic life?
0: Well, I think, and I want to question Adam is a great warrior in this in in this battle. Um, I think that if I can simply talk from my own personal experience, it was only after I learned as a student about the uniqueness and the dignity of the American experiment in self-government that I then, as naturally happens, wanted to figure out, okay, now how do I operate in this system? In other words, it has to begin with the vision and then comes participation action civics says begin with participation but of course it begs the question participation for what well our study shows that it turns out to be participation in left-wing causes how are students going to know the difference they're just kids right the teacher says this or the principal or the culture or the spider-man movie right how are they going to know the only way they can accurately judge in what they want to participate and for what they want to vote is if they understand what the American regime is. But that's the last thing that Action Civics focuses on. right? And that's the problem. You
1: know, I think that also
0: brings up the important point
1: that um, parents should never underestimate the value of educating themselves. I mean, even for those of us who received good educations and civics i'm not one of them but for those who did when they were young um you're not going to remember it and you're going to look at it totally differently now that you're a voting adult so to go back and read the extraordinary documents of our foundings read the federalist papers even something as simple as declaration of independence is such an extraordinary document um, we we all need to i think keep our education fresh
0: Absolutely right. And, you know, you see that in the Woodrow Wilson survey, because whereas I pointed out that 90% of immigrants can pass the citizenship test, only 19% of native-born Americans under 45, but 74% of native-born senior citizens, what what kind of civic education did they receive? What action civics derisively calls your grandmother civics? I'm saying let's bring back your grandmother's civics.
1: Amen. Um, here comes another question. In Indiana, we have tried to require high school students to pass the same civics test that immigrants must pass. Teachers have fought this, not wanting more tests and requirements, so we have not been able to get this as a requirement. Instead, the test must be given, but there is no requirement that students pass it. What can we do?
0: Yeah, you know there was a bill here in texas that passed the house twice it never uh, became law uh, because it, it died in the senate both both uh, uh times but it would have swapped out the year year u.s history end of course exam they would have swapped it out for the citizenship test now look, their motives were great in this but the problem is as i mentioned earlier any competent seventh grader should be able to pass the citizenship test, right? I gave it to my seven-year-old granddaughter and she got five out of ten right. She was just one away from passing, right? I mean, this is so. Their 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 analysis of the disease is correct, but they've got the wrong cure. Whereas in the case of Action Civics, their analysis of the disease is correct, but their cure is worse than the disease. There you go. I I liked the description
1: that you had in the paper, and I don't remember who you were quoting. Oh, it's Peter Wood from the National Association of Scholars who said, action civics is actually anti-civics.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. It's anti-civics. It is instead, it's not action civics, it's mobocracy. There you go. Very good. Um,
1: Another comment. Dr. Lindsay, thank you for your presentation today. I have seen you speak in several different webinars now and love the work that you do. I'm curious about the extent to which quote anti- free speech movements have also played a role in fostering the protest mindset in many students have you seen any evidence of this at the k-12 level in higher education how are universities promoting this mindset at the level of higher education
0: yeah well there uh, I, I thank the uh, I, I thank the audience member for uh, his kind words um, there's we're seeing it in a number of ways at the university level we're seeing it first in what they don't teach we've reached the point at the university level where students either get no civic education or if they get any it's bad civic education now as regards the other question about the relationship between civic education and free speech i see them as two sides of the same coin uh the philosopher Alexis de tocqueville said that modern democracy needs a new education an education and what he called the art of living free right that's civic education he said that's what we need now if the connection between civic education is so understood and i think tocqueville's right and free speech is this you have to be free to speak and to question and to disagree and to debate if you're ever going to hope to be able to live free. You can't have one without the other. You can't have civic education without free speech. And if you have civic education, you will understand the indispensability of free speech. The Declaration of Independence itself presupposes free speech when it invites the world to a discussion about its principles of justice, on which basis it justifies its separation from Great Britain. That's why all of these politically correct universities which is almost becoming a redundancy uh, these days unfortunately that's why they are antagonistic to free speech because if students just simply were allowed and guided through this is what the declaration means this is how the constitution tries to implement it this is how federalist 10 explains the founders project they know that in a free and fair and open examination of the founders ideas The founders win yeah um
1: here's another question how long has action civics been around has it been around long enough for its proponents to see that it has not improved civic understanding and if so how do they now defend action civics uh
0: it well it has not been implemented it went by earlier names as i explained in the paper uh uh Uh, project-based learning, you know, those sorts of things. Action civics, I believe, came uh, as a term first coined by the Mikva Institute in Chicago in in, uh, 2007. Um, How far back does it go? In my research paper, I trace it all the way back to the French political philosopher Rousseau. uh, Now, and then I present a choice to the readers. The American view, the founders view of human nature and politics, led to the American Revolution and the Constitution. Rousseau's vision led to the French Revolution. Right? Which one do you want? right? Which one do you want? Uh, unfortunately, today, our students aren't even taught about the French Revolution, or if they are, they're taught it was a good thing but in in the French Revolution's quest for liberty, equality, and fraternity meaning turning political beings into family members, which is exactly Marx's promise, too. Marx says all men will become brothers. Well, they might become brothers, but they're all members of the Manson family, right? The French Revolution was the founder of modern genocide. Right? Now, some of the Seattle protesters in the CHOP, right, the Capitol Heights mm-hmm. occupied, uh, um, they themselves make reference to the French Revolution, and that CHOP stands for two things, the second being guillotines. Some protesters brought a guillotine and put it at the front of Jeff Bezos's house. They probably bought it on Amazon. But anyway, uh, I mean, these things are are happening. Now, why are they happening? Because these students, badly educated by us, right? They have unrealistic expectations from politics. In other words, they too, because they've been taught it, think that the founders had too pessimistic a view of human nature right now the reason that's of course that's the reason the founders limited government because politicians are people too but if you don't have that real what i would say is a realistic view then you don't have those qualms about giving all power to government but of course we know what the consequences of that are
1: all right i'm going to try to get through one more question Public schools in the USA are largely devoted to active learning, content-free teaching. Action civics sounds very much like what is happening in many other fields of K through study, uh, K-12 study. Math, history, grammar, physics are all suffering. The conventional conservative solution has been to push for private schools or charter schools. But shouldn't the public school system be realigned, too, to a content-based philosophy of teaching and learning? Is this action civics taught only? All right, I'm gonna gonna leave that one aside because it's sort of a separate question. So let's talk about that, um, this whole notion of content-based philosophy of teaching and learning.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, that's the argument. The argument is, well, kids don't care about that stuff. You can't reach them with that. Well, I think you can uh, if you... Look, it's not very hard to show it shouldn't be very hard to show students the importance of the Declaration of Independence. Again, the problem is that the K-12 teachers didn't receive that education when they were in college. So, But yes, you're right, this notion of active, uh, this this notion of uh, if I experience a thing, then I know it, right? That's the argument. And, And again, they pose a false dichotomy. No one is saying that experiential learning doesn't play a role. That's why you have student government and all those other things. But they want that that innocuous sounding premise, right? Is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Because underneath that is, I mean, at a time when only 19% of native born Americans under 45 can get even six out of 10 questions right on the citizenship test, their proposal is to put content and the founding documents even further back so that they have time to do. Do what? For what purpose? Yeah.
1: Um, There's one more question that's actually a good one to ask Guess sort of a closing. Um, Besides our country's wonderful documents, meaning founding documents, what books or resources are good points of reference for us to learn and to possibly teach others?
0: Oh, that's a great question. The best little book that most of us will be able to grasp on the American founding and on the moral, political, and philosophic principles that inform the American founding and that continue to inform American government today was written by a professor by the name of Martin Diamond, and it's called The Founding of the Democratic Republic. The Founding of the Democratic Republic. And it's a short book beautifully written, and it lays out the, re- because look, the core of a civic, of a proper American civic education, as Lincoln explained, is to help students understand the relationship between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. If you get that, everything else you can pick up reading the newspaper, right, because that's just information, but if you get that solid grounding, what were the founders' purposes, right, why? Why? How did they view human nature? How did they view government? Then that's it. Students will have, if they have that solid foundation, they will, then, we're all, you know, talking about critical thinking is all the rage these days. That's how you develop critical thinking.
1: Well, and I think that's a great point. And and what you've just said, that's, for me, the primary argument against reducing civics to simply the mechanics of government. And I think it's what we've really lost. I think people have really lost that understanding of why the founders established the type of government that they did. What were they coming from? You know, nobody knows anymore what was going on in England prior to the founding, right?
0: Right. Right. No, and, you know, for for uh adults already out of college who want to continue their learning the diamond book for present day college students the diamond book for k-12 i would recommend wilfred mcclay's new book land of hope Yes. right absolutely yep so for so for christmas if you've got a kid in k-12 land of hope and if you've got a kid in college or you want to learn more be able to defend America as Founded, Diamond's Founding of the Democratic Republic. And Land of Hope is a good
1: one to also point to. If you don't like what your kids are being taught in school, take this into the teacher. This is really meant to be a good new textbook on American history. And it doesn't gloss over the bad. It's very honest about our history,
0: but it's beautiful. It is beautiful. beautiful. You know, as I always tell the teachers that I teach in the summer, you know, Henny Youngman was an old vaudeville comedian. He used to tell a joke that is probably hate speech today. Uh, but the joke was, uh, uh, they would say, hey, Henny, how's your wife? And he would say, compared to what? Right? Um, a proper American civic education asked the question, is America a just country? The proper question back is, compared to what? Compared to the kingdom of heaven? No, we fall short. Compared to The rest of the world and the rest of world history we do very well
1: that's a beautiful note to end on dr lindsay thank you so much thank you to everyone in our audience for being here today Uh, two quick notes you are going to get a survey when this shuts down Um, we'd be grateful if you would fill it out and then tomorrow we will be sending you a link both to the recording of this webinar as well as a link to dr lindsay's study and a couple of other articles. So thank you all so much for being with us today. Uh, Please join us for future events. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lindsay.
0: Thank you.